Welcome to Step Into the Story. Incredible conversations of how the Bible changes lives, changes families, and changes communities across the globe. And here's your host, Phil Tuttle of Walk Through the Bible. Welcome to Step Into the Story. Each time we get together, I have a special guest and we explore the intersection of God's story and their story. And today, I want to introduce you to a friend. Her name is Stephanie Mae Wilson. Stephanie, welcome to Step Into the Story. Thanks so much. I'm so, I'm honored to be here. I'm happy to be here. Um, And I'll just take any time that I can get with you because I haven't gotten to see you or sit in your kitchen in a really long time. So this is like the next best thing. (laughs) Well, in full disclosure, and you hinted at it just now, uh, Stephanie and my daughter, Emily, are good friends. I mean, have had a lot of life experiences together. And so that kind of makes me somehow some sort of in-law to you or something like that. Yes. I'm, we're friends-in-law, yes. I guess that's how we would say it. Um, I love it. S- Stephanie describes what she does. She says, I'm an author and a podcaster. My biggest passion is helping women navigate some of the major life transitions so many of us experience in our 20s and 30s. And we'll surely be talking about some of that. Stephanie, I love what you're doing. Um, you're demographic your target audience is is in some ways different than mine and um i know i'm not who you're after but i just need to tell you every now and then um emily will tell me about oh stephanie's talking about this on on her friday night podcast dad you ought to you ought to find it you ought to listen to it and um you are challenging me in my thinking you are you are helping me figure some stuff out. So I'm not a 20 or 30-something um, young woman by any stretch of the imagination, but your impact is even broader than those that are the bullseye of your target. I just want to encourage you with that. Thank you. Well, that's really special. Thank you. Mm. So let's go. Let's go back. Tell me about growing up. Stephanie May. Um, where were you raised? Tell me some about your family early on. Yeah. Um, so I, you hit it, you hit the nail on the head. My name is really confusing for everybody, including my mom. Um, so <laughs> my, my maiden name is May. So Stephanie, uh, Stephanie Louise May is my, my given name. And um, when I got married about nine years ago, I had to figure out what do I do about this whole name thing? Like, do I, you know, I I would like to take my husband's name, but I really like my name. And, you know, what do I do about that? So I, people growing up always kind of thought that May was my middle name anyway, sure, because it's kind of a good middle name. And so I scooched it over. So now it is technically legally my middle name. Um, But even my mom, like, just doesn't like, sometimes she hyphenates it. Sometimes she, I don't know. It's, it's everybody. It's confusing for everybody. So, but yeah, Stephanie May is, is who I, I used to be. I grew up in a suburb of Denver, Colorado. Um, I have two great parents. I have a little sister. Uh, she's about three and a half years younger than me. Um, she's recently given me the cutest niece in the whole world. I'm a new aunt, which I know Emily loves, uh, loves being an aunt. And so I'm, I'm aunt to just the cutest little girl. Um, and, uh, growing up, I mean, I have both my parents are psychologists, which is maybe an interesting, like fun fact. Um, and they never psychoanalyzed me, which is always people's next question. Like it was never weird. <laughs> um, or that they that told I, you about, they probably had some yeah, they wonderful told conversations you were not a part of. 
Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Um, but they, uh, I grew up just in a really, I feel like in a house where it was really safe to be me and, um, where it was safe to feel my feelings and, um, where I felt really loved and supported and really encouraged. And, um, mental health was always something that I was really comfortable talking about and pursuing, um, because I knew like, that was just a red, a readily available resource, uh, in my life was, you know, if I'm going through something really hard, like why not have help with it? Um, and so I think that that was a really, um, interesting way to grow up, I think. And then when it comes to, um, my faith, you know, we were like Christmas and Easter Christians. Mm -hmm. Um, like sometimes I think we'd miss Easter (laughs) or like, I don't know. Um, and so we, I mean, we definitely were more Christian than anything else. My parents did have spurts of taking us to, um, some different churches, you know, they had kind of loose affiliations with different churches growing up, but, um, it just, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really, I wouldn't say I was like raised in the heart of the church. Right. Um, and, but I was raised in a really awesome, a really awesome home with really great parents. And that was kind of, that was kind of my background. Oh, that's in some ways that makes your background really common. You know, the whole kind of, well, I'm not Jewish and I'm not Muslim, so I'm American, so I'm Christian, um, kind of by virtue of culture. Um, but also having the parents you did it was really unique. And even growing up, you know, if if you sprain an ankle, nobody hesitates to get physical help. But yet there's still this stigma that if it's a mental health issue, then, oh, man, is that something to feel bad about it? You're, you're really blessed to have the mom and yeah. dad that you had for sure. So yeah. you had some very... Um, definite and pretty early career goals, as I understand it. What did you dream about, about being? Um, I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. Uh, I say with a camera and a microphone in my face. Um, I I did, I really did. And I, um, that kind of started, I, I always, my goals for when I was younger had to do with college, Um, because that was sort of the first thing that I felt like you could sort of achieve or go after. And my, my goals were a little bit, um, self-serving in that, in that I have always been kind of a beach bum. Mm. Um, I'm less of one now, uh, but I just have always loved the beach. I always loved California and, you know, growing up in Colorado, it was a pretty, a pretty quick trip there. So it was, it was a place that we could go a lot. And I just was like, I need to get to the beach. And so I started looking up like the most beautiful college campuses in the country Mm -hmm. that were as beachy as possible. And so that was my goal is I wanted to go um, to school at Pepperdine or University of San Diego or USC. USC is not as on the beach as the other two. But um, I uh, so that was that was really like where I set my sights. And then kind of a, you know, wild turn of events. I ended up staying in Colorado. Um, and it was when I got my acceptance letter for the University of Colorado that I kind of started down this path of journalism. And I had applied for the the School of Journalism and Mass Communications as that was my sort of like, I guess this will be my major like direction because um, I just I didn't have I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But that sounded the most like kind of generally interesting. Mm. Um, but I because of my grades in high school was able to be, I was accepted right into the journalism program at CU. 
um, which wasn't normal, I guess. You had to, you know, wait a couple of years before you could start taking journalism classes. You had to apply. It was really hard to get in. Um, but I I was accepted early. Um, this they had this new program called the Dean Scholar List or program, something like that. And um, so I just, you know, decided kind of all in one breath that I was gonna go to the University of Colorado. And um then I was sort of thrust into this world of journalism and it turned out to be just a really great fit for me. Mm. And um, pretty much as soon as I got into college, I, you know, I, I've always been like a passable student. Like I, my dad has always been so frustrated with me. He's like, you could do so much better if you just like <laughs> tried harder in these areas. But I, I try so hard at the things that I'm really, really passionate about. And I just like do what I need to do to, to do well at the other things. Um, and so that's kind of how I went through college, but I just poured myself into journalism. And the second I could get accepted, I started doing internships at all the major TV networks and, and their affiliates in Colorado. And, um, I just loved it. I wanted to be depended on the day. I wanted to be, uh, Christian Amanpour and I wanted to do like hard, like war journalism, which mm. my mom was like, no, please no. Um, yeah. please no, let's not. Uh, and then I wanted to do, there was a while where I wanted to do political journalism, which I think I still really would have liked. Um, and then I also wanted to host the Today Show, which you never know. Like maybe that's, maybe that's still <laughs> in the future somewhere, but journalism was my thing and I was really excited about it. Mm. So what, what was life like in college? I know, I mean, you, you seem to be on this path toward hyper success, um, never quite meeting your dad's standards of, of, of uh, how, how are you achieving and what more you could do. But, but I yeah. mean, from the outside, a lot of people would look at your life and go, she absolutely hasn't made and she probably doesn't have a struggle in the world. And yet the more and more people I meet, I'm, I'm now officially convinced that everybody is deeply insecure, um, even the people that make the rest of us feel insecure. Uh, but what what's going on in your head through through those years? Oh, yes. Yes. I'm the same way. I cannot. And honestly, this might be like a gift that, that God, I think, has kind of given me over the years is just I can't see a person without having a pretty good clue about what their thing might be. Mm. And it's like and, and sometimes I'm guessing, but I know enough to go there's something heavy on your, like there's there, you're carrying something or this is, this is what you're working to run away from, or this is what, this is why you feel small or so. I mean, it's just all of us. We all have something. Um, for me in college, I, so, you know, I'm, I'm racing down this path of journalism. Um, my dad was super proud of me. He just was like, I feel like you're just doing enough to skate by in some of your mm -hmm. classes. Like you don't want to try a little harder. Like, no, I, I really don't. Um, so we, uh, so yeah, I was, I was really running down this journalism path. I was also really involved in, uh, Greek life at the university of Colorado. I was a Chi Omega for anyone who that matters to. Um, and, uh, I was on the Panhellenic executive council. And so I was in charge of, I was like on a panel of 10 women. I think there were 10 of us who was in charge of the sorority part of the Greek system. Um, and I did that for a year. And so that was my, my life. I had, you know, for when I lived in the the house, uh, my sorority house, I lived with 89 women oh like, under the same roof. There were 89 of us. I know it's like pretty, it's pretty hard to imagine. Um, 
And so, I mean, it looked like I had a ton of friends. I, you know, I was succeeding there. I was in, I loved my sorority. It was a really like, it was a great fit for me, um, you know, out of all the kind of options. Um, but I really did feel there's probably not a time in my life where I felt more insecure than during those years. And I think it was, um, it was a lot of things. I think that I think I probably was depressed. I think I had some some depression going on that totally was undiagnosed, which is crazy because you know it seems like I would have all the tools to recognize something like that, but I just didn't. Um, I had a lot of friends, but I didn't necessarily have a f- group of friends where I felt like I could be totally myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I had to be um, a certain way to fit in. And then I also felt like if I wasn't that way, or if I was like vulnerable in any way that I would sort of lose my place in the group. And, um, I just didn't have, I didn't have people that I could really be open with. I just, yeah, I, so I didn't, I had a lot of friends, but I felt very, very lonely. And I felt like I wasn't good enough in any way, you know, living with 89 other girls, the comparison thing is rough. Like, you can't, you can't brush your teeth without being in a line of just incredibly beautiful, successful, smart, amazing women. And it felt like they just all had it. They just were all doing so much better than me. Um, and so the, I think the loneliest part of that season for me was, um, I just have this really distinct memory of not wanting to be on my own team. So like, it felt like I was sort of, it felt like I was like the last pick for gym class. Uh, or the last pick for the team um, at recess. And I, but like, I didn't even want to pick myself because I sort of agreed with the things that I thought other people thought about me that I like, you know, wasn't good enough, that I was annoying, that I always said stupid things, that I like wasn't pretty enough. You know, I just, I had all these guesses of what I thought other people thought of me. And I just totally agreed with them. And honestly, I don't know if if that's what anyone ever thought of me, but it definitely was what I thought of me. Sure. And I think that that was the loneliest part. They were too busy worrying about what other people were thinking of them. I mean, it's a, no kidding. It's a universal game that, that yeah. we all play. And as we get yeah. older, we just switch currencies, but we do the same thing. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's tough. So there's kind of a downward spiral going on um, in, in your life as I've, as I've read about. Um, and you know this this podcast step into the story it is about how god intersects our story with his story and you've already said you didn't grow up with this big christian churchy background um the cool part to me is is how god came after you um unpack that story a little bit for us will you please this is this is so this is so cool to me um it, you know if you've ever as you're questioning, what is my value? What is my worth? You know, now, Stephanie, as you look back on this, you, you've got to say, well, God thought I was worth something because mm-hmm. look, look yeah. what he did. So un- unpack that did. story. This will encourage a lot of people, I think. Yeah. Um, I haven't gotten to tell it in a while, so this is fun. Um, so in the midst of all of this, just like a couple more details, I had a boyfriend who I, who I just loved to pieces. I thought he was my person. I thought we'd be together forever. And, uh, right around my junior year, we broke up and he was sort of like the, 
I, it felt like he was sort of like the pin holding everything together. He was like my safe place. He was the kind of the thing that I looked at when I was like, I feel like I'm not worth anything, but like, he really loves me. And, um, there were just so many things, so many roles that he filled in my life and we broke up. Um, and then also there was, you know, and I think that this is true for a lot of college students, a lot of people, there was definitely a, um, serious threat of alcohol abuse, like in my life at the time. And so I think that that, I mean, it's really hard to, it's really hard to be in a good place when you're drinking as much as I was. Um, and so all of that was kind of together. And so then we, I go through this breakup and it just like, I just fell apart. And, um, my sincere recommendation, I know, I think you'll like, you know, retweet this is, um, if you're going through a really hard time, leave the country like get on a plane and go somewhere different, <laughs> go somewhere <laughs> where you can just, it's, there's something about travel, um, that I, that, I mean, I just will always love, but especially travel when you're in a really hard season of life, it just was the best gift to get to do that mm. when I was in such a hard spot. And so, um, that really terrible breakup and, and sort of falling apart of my entire life coincided with the time that I was already planning on studying abroad. And, um, so my plan was to study abroad in Seville in in Sevilla in Spain. Um, and I went with, uh, my, my best friend since I was eight years old. Um, she happened to have chosen the same place. So her name's Michelle. We went together and then she had a, a best friend that she had like, uh, met in her sorority. We went to the same school, but she was in a different sorority, um, named Kelsey. And so Kelsey, Michelle, and I ended up in Spain together and the thing that I didn't see coming really is that in the, in the like recent couple of years, Michelle had become a strong Christian and we were raised the same, like we, neither of us were really raised in the church, but she had met Jesus and, and he had just totally changed her life, um, as he tends to do. And Kelsey was a strong Christian. She'd grown up a Christian her whole life. And so I'm sitting in Spain and I'd never really interacted with Christians that I knew of, um, you know, I kind of watched this thing happen in Michelle's life, but I wasn't really part of it. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, my two pals that I was around all the time were people who deeply loved Jesus. And it was just this really cool opportunity for me to, um, have some space to deal with what was going on in my heart. And then maybe for the first time have really, really close, um, safe, friends to unpack all these things mm. with. And they were, they gave me this just really incredible view of what a Christian is and what a Christian can be and who Jesus is in like, and, and what it looks like in your life when he is a part of it. Um, they also were really patient with me because I had a whole bunch of questions about church, about God, about people who follow Jesus, about Jesus. And they just patiently answered my questions as, as, to the best of their ability, um, for like an entire semester. Um, but I still wasn't convinced. I still just didn't know if, if I wanted anything to do with Jesus, but I, I did have the more time I spent abroad that semester, the more my heart started to open to the idea that I wanted to have a relationship with God or, or that I wanted to, I was like, I feel like there's got to be more than this. Mm. And I would like to, I would like to, to know what it is. I'd like to explore something beyond what I can see. Um, and so I, I really throughout the semester started 
seeking God. I just wasn't totally sure what that would look like. And I wasn't totally sure that it was through Christianity because again, I had so many questions about it and I really was, um, I just, I just wasn't sure. Um, but then we ended up going to Italy for spring break. Um, and, uh, I'll, I'll include this detail. You guys can take this out if you want. Um, we, but I think it's, I think it's pretty cool. Um, so we had, we were in, um, Rome for a couple of days and we, we did kind of a combination of like eating really good food and we were exploring the nightlife. And then also we were going to, um, all the like cultural sites because we're like, you know, there to see all the stuff. And so the night before the big day, um, we had done a pub crawl and, uh, so, and they gave us free t-shirts at this pub crawl. Um, and so we like participated in this pub crawl. They gave us free t-shirts. We were excited about it, went to bed the next morning. We woke up and we're like, okay, we need to go see the Vatican. Um, we need to go, you know, tour St. Peter's. We need to go do the whole Vatican thing. Cause like we're in Rome and we're good tourists and we're here. Um, and then because we had just gotten free t-shirts, we're like, we should wear our free t-shirts. So we put on <laughs> our free t-shirts still smelled like beer. Uh, and a little bit hungover went to the Vatican and our t-shirts say like, you know, Spanish steps, pub crawl, like, oh, you know what? On the back, it said something like we came, we saw, we crawled. Great. So it was really yeah. classy. Um, so that's how we went to the Vatican and, uh, we are, you know, taking the tour. It's really great. And we walk into the Sistine chapel and we're there on a tour. And so she's telling us about, you know, the ceiling and I'm looking up, it's amazing. And. Um, and it's almost time to go when all of a sudden I turn around and I see the fresco on the back wall and it's the last judgment. Um, it's Michelangelo's last judgment. And to, I feel like I have to say, this is not my favorite painting in the world. Um, it, it, it's not like, I'm like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. This is my, like, I like the ceiling better. I think from an art perspective, Most it's everybody like does. Intense, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of an intense moment also that's depicted. And so but something about that moment, as I'm looking at the back wall of the Sistine Chapel, I just lock eyes with Jesus in the painting and something in my heart just jumped. And it was like, I felt like I was seeing a best friend for the first time in a really long time. And I just, I had this like physical, like draw to go and like hug him. Um, which I didn't because I would have gotten arrested. Yes. Um, you don't touch the art in in the Vatican. Um, but so I just locked eyes with him and I just like just felt this this pull. Um, and in my head, all of my fears, all my doubts, all my like judgments, all my you know preconceived ideas of who Jesus is and you know what Christians are like and all these things, they were just quiet. And I thought I want to know him. I want to be friends with him. I want him to know me. I, I just, I just want to be, I just want to, I want to be best friends with him. Mm. And so in that moment, I just said, okay, Jesus, I'm in, I'm in for this Christianity thing. Like, let's do this. And that was how it happened. And we walked out of the Sistine Chapel and I'm looking at my two friends who had been investing in me for a really long time, praying for me for like years, it turns out. And, um, and, and I said, guys, I'm a Christian now. Wow. They're like, okay. 
And I really, I really was, I, it took, um, there are a couple more like things that, that shifted in my life that, that made it, um, I think that gave God like the room to, to like inhabit more space in my life. Um, and that kind of unfolded over the next few, like over the next year or so. Um, but I just, I really did. I became a Christian that day and God just took me on this wild ride that really started that day. And my favorite thing about it is that like, I became a Christian in the Vatican, hung over smelling like beer, wearing a pub crawl t-shirt. Mm. And that's where Jesus found me. And I just, I have to remind myself all the time that he wasn't like, okay, so change out of that pub crawl t-shirt, take a shower, never, never go to a pub crawl again and wear this churchy outfit. And then I'll, then you can come be with me. He's Ex- like, exactly. I'm going to take you to the pub crawl t-shirt. Which is such a distortion of so much of the American church today that, that let's just front load the gospel with all this other stuff. You know, you need to fix this about your life. You need to get your act together in this way. And then, then you'll be acceptable to God. Whereas you read his actual, the account of his life in the gospels, and he's not after the religious people because they don't, they're not aware of their need. He's, he's hanging out with people with really shaky, questionable reputations. Um, you know, I don't know if their togas or their robes had pub crawl written on them or not, but they might as well have. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, even to the point that the religious leaders were condemning him for keeping all the wrong company. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I love I love your experience. I love the authenticity with which you describe it, um, because that's I mean, you you had the skepticism of a journalist. You had questions that needed to be answered. But in the end, I mean, you can never paint somebody into a corner with logic and they go, all right, I surrender. You are academically superior with me. I will now believe. You know, it's still as much as your mind was engaged in asking your questions, faith is still an issue of the heart. And there you are in the Sistine Chapel. And you're like, it's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. I want this for my life. Well, we are just getting started. We got so much more to talk about. But even now, as you're listening to Stephanie's story, if uh, regardless of where you are in this process, uh, walk through the Bible. We got a lot of resources that that can help you in this pilgrimage of faith. And I want to tell you about one of those now, and then Stephanie, I'll, I will be back to continue her story. When a master artist is creating a sculpture, he has a plan in mind for the stone. The skilled sculptor knows what he wants to achieve, and he uses his chisel to create the work of art he envisioned before he even picked it up. This is the lesson of Chiseled, Becoming the Masterpiece God Created You to Be, a six-session Bible study from Walk Through the Bible. Chiseled is based on the life of Simon Peter and how God crafted him into the man and leader that God always wanted him to be. In God's hands, anyone can become a masterpiece. God's work in Peter's life shows how he can work in our lives, too, to lovingly shape and sculpt us into the likeness of his son, Jesus. God will chip away everything in us that doesn't look like Jesus, making us into a living masterpiece that will forever reflect the beauty and glory of the artist himself. Find out more about Chiseled at walkthrough.org chiseled. 
Welcome back to Stephanie to the Story. Uh, my guest today, Stephanie Wilson, Stephanie Mae Wilson. Um, so you have just really met Jesus for the first time, not the cultural version of Jesus, but but there in the Sistine Chapel going, I want this, I believe, I trust. God, I mean, one thing that I know about you and from your earlier part of the story, if you do something, you're not going to do it halfway. And so you throw yourself into this. You've got the encouragement of Kelsey and Michelle, who were kind of like your spiritual midwives bringing you to this point. And and now now it's time to, if I'm going to be a Christ follower, what does that mean? And um, mm-hmm. I know we're cutting whole significant things out of your story, but um, how long after that was it that you decided to go on a mission trip? Um, so it was the, well, okay. Are you talking about my first mission trip or are you talking about the world race? I'm talking about the world race. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it was, uh, oh gosh. Probably three years. Okay. Two, uh, maybe two years before I decided. Um, it really like missions became a thing for me immediately. I I got duped by Michelle into going on my first mission trip. I thought I like to travel. I had no idea. I just had never been on a mission trip. I didn't know that it wasn't like, you know, leisurely travel. Is this a four star or a five star mission trip? Yeah, here we go. Yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a lot of pouring concrete and it was like the best week of my life. It was amazing. Um, and so I really like got the missions bug. I fell in love with missions immediately. And, um, I like two things kind of happened at once. The first thing was, uh, I got involved at the college ministry at university of Colorado and that's Michelle had worked, Michelle was working there. That's who I went on this, this mission trip with. And they offered me a job for the year after I graduated. Um, it was unpaid, I should say it was an unpaid internship, but they did offer it to me. Um, and so that was, you know, that was one of the options that I had to choose between as I was graduating. And then the other thing was, um, there was a journalism, like a political journalism internship that I could do in Washington, DC, the summer after I graduated, and I had the option to do either that or a 10-week mission trip to Ghana in West Africa. And kind of all at the same time, I decided that I was ready to walk away from journalism, like overnight. I just, my heart had changed um, and I couldn't explain it more than that. My just, I, my, the fabric of my insides was different. And this passion that I used to have for journalism, I just wanted to talk about Jesus and be with him and do work with him and be with his people. And, and like, I just, I wanted to be in the story, not telling the story from the outside. Um, and so I kind of simultaneously decided to not pursue any of the, like, you know, solid opportunities I had post-grad. Um, I took the unpaid internship and, uh, worked at a restaurant kind of part-time, did some babysitting part-time. My parents also like, you know, helped me out. Thanks parents. Um, and so I took an unpaid internship, but the, the summer before it started, I, I spent 10 weeks in Ghana. Um, and that was my, that became my career path. And then that, that year doing that ministry, it was, it was while I was in Ghana that God gave me the idea for my first book. Um, it's called the lipstick gospel and it's like the whole Sistine chapel story, um, and more. 
Uh, so I, that's kind of where he started to do that. And then that next year, as I was an intern at this college ministry, I just got to invest in women's lives and kind of be the big sister that I needed when I was younger. Mm. Um, and it was like, I mean, I was just out of the shoes that they were just stepping into. And I thought that that wasn't enough to like qualify me to be in any sort of ministry, but my, the leaders of our ministry saw that differently. And I'm really grateful that they did. Um, and so that was my job for a year and I loved it so much. And I thought that I was going to do that forever, but then an opportunity kind of crossed my path and it was to travel the world for a year doing mission work. And I like, you guys know this now I have the travel bug so bad. I could not pass that up. And so I basically walked away. I thought I was going to go to seminary. I thought I was going to be a college pastor. I thought like this was my path. Um, but I just couldn't turn this down. And so I ended up deciding to do this mission trip around the world for a year. And then like, I know we'll probably go back, but one of the things that they asked you to do as you were going to travel was to keep a blog, um, was to like, tell your story as you were going and, you know, take pictures and make videos and stuff. And I initially was like pretty frustrated by that request because I was like, are you kidding me? Like I just left journalism. I just walked away. Yeah, from and this, I want to be present gonna, like, in the moment and not I want to think about yeah, sharing it with other people. Want, yeah. Yes. I did not want to do this. And I'm like, God, are you kidding me? They're talking about like what kind of journalistic camera you can bring with you on the right. <laughs> like, I'm like, no, <laughs> um, but I did. And I totally loved it. And um, people, it was crazy. People started to kind of read my blog as I went. And it was this really cool marriage of my journalism skills and the ministry that I had been working in for the last year of getting to be like, you know, a couple steps ahead of the people who were reading and getting to be like, this is what I learned along the way. If this, like, here's what might be helpful for you to know as you're heading into this. Um, it was this really cool combination of that. And I mean, we're sitting here 11 years later, I think. And my job is basically the same. Um, it's grown, but it's this cool combination of journalism and, and ministry mentorship, really. Uh, and it all started as I was traveling around the world that year. That's so cool. And that's, you know, and then working for that ministry after that year, that's when you and my daughter, Emily, got to know each other. And yeah. um, ultimately, you met some guy named Carl. And, uh, I did. I did. Uh, tell me that story, if you can, <laughs> briefly. That's how do you summarize you and Carl? But give it a shot. <laughs> he, um, Emily was there for all of it. It's so funny. Uh, so when I got back from that trip, um, they the organization hired me to to come on staff, and um, so I joined the marketing department, and I got to meet Emily Tuttle, who I just love so much. Uh, she and I were working together. So it was my first day and I'm being paraded around talking, you know, it, meeting all the people on the team. And so I meet Emily and um, then I meet a guy named Carl and uh, he was the, the creative director at the time. And he was super intimidating and really smart. And those were the first two things I noticed about him. Um, and it took about a month for us to kind of warm up to each other. But the first, uh, the first kind of time that happened was as I was on the marketing team, they asked me if I would give a talk about 
storytelling and the importance of blogging and things like that to people who were about to do the trip. And so I, it was kind of my first real speaking engagement. There were probably 300 or 400 people there. And Carl made sure that he was there to hear me because he just wanted to see what I had to say. And so I gave this talk about the importance of storytelling, like for your own life and also as a ministry tool um, at this, you know, training um, for all these people who are about to do the trip. And it was like that weekend that he asked me on our first date. He just, I got him with my talk. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Got him with my so, talk. So he said, I want to be part for... of this story that you're talking about. He here, did. So he really, he really did. Um, and he, uh, we've been married for nine, almost nine years now. Wow. And we have two of the most brilliant, hilarious, adorable, wonderful, creative little girls. Well, now um, don't just jump, jump to that. Like that was like the next logical Easy. thing and, you know, click your heels three times and it <laughs> happens. Um, yeah, no, that's that was the struggle of your life, wasn't it? Getting started with a family. And um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. tell us some about that. We, um, you know, there were so many pieces of it. We, for a while, like we weren't sure that we wanted to have kids. Mm -hmm. We both are, we both have so many things that we feel like we need to do in the world. Um, and we weren't sure if that, like we, we thought that being parents was part of it, but we didn't really, we didn't really know. And we didn't really know how it all kind of fit together. And, um, so we spent a long time, we were married for I want to say six years. I'd have to go back and count. Um, we were married for about six years before we had kids. I think we were married for about five before we started even thinking about it. And, um, but we, I mean, I feel like God slowly, but surely just kind of prepped us, you know, like I, my heart was, I was confused. I was scared. I was, you know, I had all, all kinds of fears and doubts really like this kind of story repeats itself a couple of times in my life, but I had a lot of the same doubts and fears about like, what is this going to look like? What does this have to look like? Does it have to look like that? Um, in order to be a mom and, um, but God just sort of slowly unwound that. And, um, so, so we decided we wanted to, to try and have kids and we started trying and we started trying, we we're trying and just nothing was happening. And we started doing some tests at about a year and they could not find anything wrong with us, with either of us. And, um, so we, we then did, um, IUI medicated IUI for anyone who's familiar. Um, and that didn't work. And we tried that about four times. And then finally our doctor was like, all right, guys, if we're going to, we're, we're looking at, at IVF at this point. Right. Um, and so that was, that was, we, um, did that in January of 2020 and, um, we ended up with one healthy embryo at the end of all of it. Um, it was like the price of a car <laughs> and it was so many shots, like just piles and piles of needles of shots and, um, proceed to like two procedures and just all kinds of things. And we ended up with one healthy embryo and we're like, okay, what if this doesn't work? Like what if something goes wrong or, and then also like we wanted to, at that point, we're like, we want to have more than one kid. So how are we going to do this again? Like I just, the whole thing felt so disappointing and frustrating and like just a dead end. Um, 
I remember my mother-in-law saying, you guys, like, you just need one. Like, you just need, like, don't discount this, like, who this one little life could be, you know, like, just keep walking down this road. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, we named our little embryo Larry because it felt weird to talk about, like, <laughs> like it was like a little, like five cells, but we, it was weird not to, it was weird not to know what to call it. So we, we called it Larry. Um, and so then we, uh, at the beginning, actually it was mid-March, 2020 and, the world is falling As the down. world is falling apart. Great time to bring a child apart. into being. Yeah. No kidding. I totally, I'm like calling my dad, like, is this a good idea? <laughs> He's like, oh, everyone's asked that, you know, throughout history, but everyone's asked that for different reasons. Mm. Um, but he's, but, um, we get a call from our clinic and they're like, uh, the government is recommending that everyone stop all fertility treatments everyone who's like in the process that everyone stop you are so far into it i was like a week away from the transfer and and they i'd be they'd been i'd been like pumped full of hormones like everything had to be exact like down to the minute the right timing and so they said um we're going to have you keep going because you're so far into this but like the clinic shut down a couple days after mm. my transfer um and so we went in to the clinic that day we had um, like a whole tub of Clorox wipes under our arm. We're like Cloroxing everything. You know, we have like, you know, triple masks on, you know, I mean, we just, it was March, 2020. We didn't, the world was falling apart. So scary. Um, yeah. It was so wild. And so we uh, did the transfer and had to wait for a while um, to find out what happened. And we were so happy to find out that we were pregnant. Um, and then, but they said, you know, um, we want you to just come in. We'll have you in for an ultrasound in a couple of weeks. I started feeling sick really, really fast. Like just so miserable, like not actually miserable. I know that pregnancy is really, really, really hard for a lot of women. My pregnancy was actually pretty um, uneventful, thankfully, but I just felt totally terrible. Um, and we go in for our first ultrasound and um, the doctor's like, okay, so here's, here's the the like heartbeat here's the baby um and then he's like um do you see this like so here's a baby here's the heart here's the heartbeat and then he moves the the ultrasound wand and he's like do you see this here's a heartbeat here's here's the baby and he kind of starts going back and forth being like are you guys seeing this and uh he's like kids you're having twins like oh my gosh our sweet little Larry embryo had split in two mm. and become our two little beautiful girls, Annie and Quinn. And I just will never get over it. Mm. So, I mean, hard time getting pregnant, one embryo, but we want more, but can I face this whole process all over again? And God goes, I got this, I got this. Mm -hmm. And, um, and people ask us all the time, they're like, you know, do twins run in your family? And my my grandmother, who I just adored, was an identical twin. Um, her name was Anne, which is why we named um, okay. one of our daughters Annie. Uh, but we, but identical twins are never passed down. It's always fraternal twins. That's, that's what's genetic. Mm. Um, it's never identical twins. Identical twins are always 
like a miracle. Yeah. Like there's no scientific way to be able to split an embryo into. Um, and I think that that's just what we came up. That's the conclusion we came to throughout the whole process of trying to get pregnant and then having our girls was we were praying so hard throughout the whole thing. And we're like, God, I feel like you just have like a door closed. Like you could just open this. What are you doing? Do you not want us to have kids? Like what? I don't, I just don't understand. And then when we, you know, when we started seeing more doctors and stuff, we're like, okay, well, like this is a way of like making this happen. Like you cannot, you can't circumvent God. <laughs> you know, you can't, we no no help that any doctors gave us could, could take God's spot out of the um, equation. Like it just couldn't. And so, I mean, the, the odds of, of the things that didn't work are just like shocking. Like, how is this possible that this didn't happen, that we weren't able to get pregnant like this? Like, yeah, we went through, we had a lot of medical intervention in our pregnancy story, but God was there every single step of the way and did things like, I feel like it was like a partnership between him and our doctors. And he was able to do something that they like they were helpful in a way that I can never repay. I can never communicate to them how grateful I am for their love and help and assistance and knowledge and expertise. But like God still had so much to do with it. It like I just it it's it's just incredible to me. I, I love to watch you struggle for words because that communicates more than the perfectly crafted sentence, um, honestly. So, and we we could talk for a long time about this. You, you know, Ellen and I went down the infertility road for a while, never got to the in vitro, and we're old, so a lot of those things were not options. But um, things have I, changed I, even in the last few years. It's crazy. I, I know the struggle of that to a degree, and. Yeah. Um, you know this debate that's been raging about where does science fit in? I mean, it's a it's a partnership. True science is borderline supernatural anyway. But then for God to use science to help you, but then go and let me just just throw a kicker in here. Let me show you that there's stuff I can do that the docs can't. That's so cool. Um, you know, Stephanie, I want to talk about your your ministry and what God has built and is building now. You alluded to this earlier, um, but there, there's a really kind of frightening, overwhelming verse when Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, you know, I want the older women to teach the younger women. And um, I've never yet met a woman who embraces that title. And I'm like, he doesn't say old women, he said older women. And I think I think you grasp that younger than most anybody I know. You know, this the word mentoring can sound so heavy and intimidating. And you know, I've I've had people tell me, but I didn't do it perfectly. And and what you have opened your life up to is to say, okay, somehow or other I got through one phase of life. And as I look back on that. There were some good decisions I made that turned out to be really wise. There's some other places. I know it looks like a shortcut, but it's taking you straight into a minefield. 
and I don't want you to step some of the places that I stepped. And that is mentoring. That is the older woman teaching the younger women. And your ministry takes a lot of forms. I know you have a um, publishing opportunity coming up. You've already written several books. But I'm especially interested in um, Friday nights and and your and your podcast. Girls night. Girls night. Girls night. Girls night. Yes, yes. You can listen to it any day, anytime. But <laughs> but girls night. I, and um, tell me about that. And you know, as you're as you're listening to this, you may not fit that demographic either. But I bet you got a child or a grandchild or a friend or a coworker that that this could be a godsend for them um, in connecting them with God. I mean, I, I love Stephanie's story because everybody right now is talking about deconstructing. What do I keep of my faith? What do I, how, I don't want secondhand faith. I don't want just because I grew up in this. You didn't grow up in this. And so you don't have a lot of that baggage to sort through God is very much constructing your faith, and you're right. You're right on schedule with that. And you know, for you to be willing to reach back, and you know, early on you were talking a lot about being single um, because that was a fresh memory, and you would have never, you would have never written about being a new mom. But now you're two and a half years into that, and and yeah. you got some things to to pass on with that. But talk talk about the the podcast and just the not just what you do, but the community that God is building. Yeah, it's been so, uh, well, thank you for everything that you said. So something that Emily and I have in common is that we are both deeply in love with the West Wing. Um, if, I mean, it's like came out, I don't know how long ago, um, but it's just an incredible show. If anyone hasn't watched it and needs like a good binge, the West Wing, so good. Um, but there's this scene in it uh, where they tell a story and they say, uh, so there's a guy walking down the street one day and all of a sudden he falls into a hole and he's down in the hole and he tries everything that he can to get out and just nothing is working. And so he starts calling up and asking for help. And so a guy walks by or a, a um, doctor walks by and he says, doc, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? And the doctor says, yeah, sure. And he writes him a prescription and tosses it into the hole and keeps on going. And then a priest walks by and he says, you know, father, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? And the priest says, sure. And he writes a prayer on a piece of paper, tosses it into the hole and keeps on going. Uh, and then this guy's friend walks by and he says, Joe, Joe, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? And Joe says, yeah. And he jumps down in the hole too. And the guy goes, what are you doing now? We're both stuck down here. And Joe goes, no, I've been in this hole before. I know the way out. Mm. Mm. And I just, when I heard that, I was like, that is my whole purpose in life. Mm. It just is my whole purpose. Um, I think that there are some really amazing things that can come from us just talking about where we've been and, um, it, the the misconception I think is is really what you said that you feel like you have to have done something perfectly in order to have anything to impart. I think also it feels like we have to be like an expert, like we have to have a doctorate in whatever the thing is, you know, um, to be able to speak into it. Or it has to be so long ago that we, like, it, like I can't possibly talk about something I went through recently. But I think that when we go through something hard or challenging in our lives, that experience, if we're open to it, becomes the exact, like that experience transforms us into the exact person 
that someone's going to need when they're walking through it too. Exactly. So like there's no one, no one better to walk you through something like IVF than someone who's been through IVF. And it's kind of bonus if they've been through it decently recently because they actually remember. Like right. there are things where if you ask me today, like, you know, what medicine did they use? I'm going to have to go like look it up. I can't remember. But if you would have asked me a little bit, like a, a, a little while ago, I would have remembered exactly what medicine and exactly, you know, what helped make this shot more bearable. Um, whereas like it would take a little bit more digging because it's been a couple of years now. Um, and so I, I just, I'm really glad that, that you mentioned that. And that's really been the heart of my podcast. It started because um, my husband, Carl, had been listening to podcasts for a while and he loved them. And he's like, I think you'd really like these. I think you'd really like doing this. Um, and then also I in, had a series of really great conversations with friends, like over dinner or on the phone. And I walked away from those conversations so encouraged and so like, um, tucked in, in the, in the truth that I wasn't alone in what I was going through and knowing exactly what I was supposed to do next. Like, I just felt like God was speaking to me directly through the friends in my life. Like I just walked away with such confidence and comfort and clarity really, um, from all those conversations. And so that combined with Carl's prodding, like, I think you'd like this podcast thing. I was like, okay, I'm going to try it. So, because I, I honestly felt selfish having conversations with people in my life, like Emily, who are so brilliant and not getting to share their words with other people. Um, and so I just started recording them and we, I mean, we're like, six years into this 17 seasons, 6 million downloads, something like that. And just the, um, I, I got to meet a girl a couple weekends ago who listens to the show. And she was like, when you first introduced the show and said, you know, you want this to feel like a girl's night. Um, she was like, I thought like, yeah, right. Like, I, it's just, how are you going to do that in a podcast? That's just, like, that's a nice mm -hmm. idea, but I don't know that you're going to be able to actually execute it. And she was like, it does. It feels like that. It feels like you're just, we're all sitting together on the couch in our comfy pants, talking about the really, really, really important things of life and also the fun things of life. And they just all weave together. And it's this beautiful reminder that we're not alone in any of it. Um, it's been a really big privilege to get mm -hmm. to, to host this show. So somebody wanted to access that. What's it called? And um, It's called... Girls Night with Stephanie Mae Wilson. Um, and if you type that in anywhere to like your podcast listening app or Google or something like it'll it'll come up where we're pretty much everywhere. Mm. And, you know, primarily followed by young women in their 20s and 30s. But you don't card people at the door if you're we don't older than that them. and um, nope. struggling to understand what's going on with my daughter or my daughter-in-law or my grandchild. Um there's a wealth yeah. of wisdom there. I, I love the verse in 2 Corinthians 1 that talks about we are most able, this is my paraphrase, but essentially it says we're most able to comfort others in the same way that we ourselves have been comforted. And that, I mean, to me, that is the overarching deal that God's got going in your life. And... Um, that motivates me to hear you saying yes to that because there's a risk. You know, it's it's scary. It's 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 threatening to bring somebody in 
to your relationship. I know, I know you've been doing some stuff on engagement now because that's relatively. If, if I tried to write something about engagement now, I mean, we've been married 43 years. That would be, I've got such selective memory. I, I've lost track of, is this really the right person? What if this doesn't work? Oh man, I could, I've never put my heart on the line like this. And but the visceral emotions of that aren't there anymore. But for you, they are. And um, I'm just, I'm so thankful that you've said yes. And Carl's along for the ride. And that means sometimes you have an argument and then he gets talked about in a, in a pretty nice <laughs> way um, on the podcast. But, uh, you know, and, and now as you've got these two precious daughters, um, people are going to be along for the ride in that adventure too. So I just, I just want to say thank, thank you to you. But it's your story is so cool, and it is the epitome of why I want to start this podcast. Because initially, you know, kind of up to our break, it was all about you making room in your story for God's story. Does it fit? You know, do, am I going to have to wear ugly shoes if I'm a Jesus follower now? And I mean, all, all that stuff. It's so it's not us. the Bible. I checked. It, good, good. <laughs> it's so us-centric. And then the second half of this conversation where you're like, okay, I get it. I get it. My story, for whatever reason, God is writing me into his story. And he wants to use me to, to even impact the plot line of other people's stories. That's just as awesome as it gets. So Stephanie, um, I'm so proud of you. I, I pray for you. I will pray for you more regularly now. And um, the chapters that God's written so far are great, but I cannot wait to see what God's gonna do next in, in your life and Carl's and now with your girls together. And um, thanks so much for joining me today on Step Into the Story. Thanks for having me. You know, as, as we get together each week, this is exactly the kind of conversation I'm hoping to have. And um, if we'd love to have you follow us, we'd love to have you subscribe so you don't make an issue, don't miss an episode. But this particular conversation is one that I think could help so many people. And so think about it. As I was listening to this today, who was I wishing could hear this? And you can be the bridge that, that connects them with the wisdom that God is pouring out through Stephanie. So thanks for that. And uh, we look forward to the next time we get together on Step Into the Story. Thank you for joining us for the Step Into the Story podcast, powered by Walk Through the Bible. We'd love to hear what you think by giving us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, don't miss a single episode by clicking the subscribe button. If you'd like more resources to help you explore and live God's word in your daily life, visit walkthrough.org. That's W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U dot O-R-G. Walk through the Bible. Take a walk. Change the world.